0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Hi, it's Lainey. Hi, it's Duanna. Welcome to Show Your Work, our podcast about work. And last week was a mini
0: egg episode <laughs> of our podcast. And this week I'm going to worry, uh, this week I'm going to work on not saying my name like Duanna. It's like something <laughs> air <laughs> let out of a balloon. This um, is Duanna. This is There you go. Um,
1: Also, uh, while we go from mini-egg, we, like, came close to actually bursting at the seams for this week's episode because we have so much content that we wanted to cover that we pitched back and forth to each other
0: that there is some left on the table. Oh, there are people left by the roadside, like, who we hope we will pick up again. Uh, And that's even before we talk about the fact that we are currently eight days to Hamilton. Uh, You know, I just want to keep that at the forefront of everybody's mind. But we have a lot to do. We are, yeah, we are eight days
1: to Hamilton. We are ten days to the Met Gala. Hmm. So uh, we're going to be hoping to do something Met Gala related. Um, And certainly on Lainey Gossip, there will be the usual Met Gala coverage. Look out for it, but yes. Um, But to this week, yeah, we had
0: so much content that… We had to leave shit on the table. Which backs up my ever more true statement that the short weeks are always the longest. Not everybody has Easter Monday off, but enough people do that Monday is essentially useless. So uh, when it's a short week, it always winds up being longer and more packed. And uh, they didn't disappoint us, did they?
1: No, they did not disappoint us. So we're going to get right into it. And we're going to get right into it with somebody who... I don't think we can dispute the fact that Anne Hathaway is
0: polarizing. There I are, would, but I'll tell you why in a minute. Go on. I mean,
1: there is a whole ongoing discussion
0: about, right now, let's let go of the hate, Which is so uh, wrong, but I don't want to get us off track of what got no. us here. When I disagreed with polarizing, it's because I think that the feeling about Anne Hathaway was, is, more or less uniform. I'm not sure there's a a big group of dissenters, but let's keep going. Right.
1: So the reason Anne Hathaway is the lead story today um, is that she recently did an interview while promoting Colossal um, with uh, popcorn, with Peter Travers. He's got like a, a segment on ABC News called Popcorn with Peter Travers, Peter Travers, of course, longtime film critic for Rolling Stone. Um, I always know him from the mustache, just FYI for those of you who can't put the name with the person. He's the guy with the mustache. Anyway. Google guy with mustache, is that what you're saying? <laughs> so she talked about… Um, do Anna, step in? Go I, ahead. Yeah, I
0: want to step in because I do actually want to contextualize. She's been promoting Colossal, and two weeks ago there was that article. It's now time to put aside the Anne Hathaway hate. And it's like, what do you mean it's now time? It has always been irrational to hate somebody or to, uh, you know, be uh, the idea that we're all in this together and we should all now move on as though it was a trend as though it was trendy and cool to hate Anne Hathaway, like we're all in grade four and now we're right. gonna move on and hate Mandy instead. Any given Mandy, whatever. Really, really made me mad. Had this been a different podcast, had recent comments gone down differently, we would have been having a different conversation because I really was annoyed by that idea that we all hate her and we're all gonna move on. Right. And then? And then? And then
1: she has this discussion where she talks about her, quote, internalized misogyny um, related to her experience on the film One Day. Is it One Day? Yeah, One Day. Yeah. Um, And uh, her experience working with the female filmmaker, the director, Lone, is it Lone? Mm -hmm. Lone? Lone uh, Scherfig. And she basically says that… She, when she looks back on that work experience, she thinks maybe she would have held back, or sorry, not would have, maybe she held back because Lone is a woman, that inherently she had internalized misogyny, and that compelled her not to give as much and not to want to uh, earn the respect and do as good of a job for a female director as she would have previously in her career for male directors. And in looking back, she has some regrets about it. Um, la, 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 you can go read the quote. But that is where we
0: are right now. So, a little context. One Day was a very popular book before it was turned into a movie. I almost think that you had me read it. I did. So, Lone Shurfick had… Just finished an education with Carrie Mulligan, still one of my all-time favorites. Which you, like, waxed rhapsodically, is that how you say? I think just rhapsodic yeah. is the infinite term. Um,
1: about, and that began your love affair with Carrie Mulligan, and I think you, to return the favor, you were the one who was like, an education, watch it, I love her so much, blah, blah, blah. And was
0: I wrong? God, I love Carrie Mulligan and I love an education. It's a great, great movie. But the point there is that the movie was, you know, extremely well received. This female director that Anne Hathaway was doubting wasn't some, you know, newbie, wasn't some hack. Uh, you know, it's not like you're being directed by Lindsay Lohan.
1: Right. She had just directed someone to an Academy Award nominated performance. That would be Carrie Mulligan in an education.
0: So, Okay. Here's Anne Hathaway, she says this thing about, she says this quote about, uh, you know, internalized misogyny and about how she judges female filmmakers by what's wrong with their films and male filmmakers by what's right about their films. And so you feel...
1: You're... Listen, the immediate reaction... And I think that the online reaction, at least that I've read, I have not read any counterpieces on it yet, and I hope they're coming, or perhaps they're coming. Is oh my god, she's so brave and honest.
0: Are you joking? Oh, I no. really did not think that was what you were going to say. Oh god. <sighs> okay, uh, I'm surprised. And I
1: will say though that Duanna, your reaction was anger. Oh yeah, I was. Your right. exact
0: words were, "Oh for fuck's sake." Yeah, I was mad. And here's why. First of all, I think we can go ahead and say, you know, uh, internalized misogyny is a bit bullshit to just go top level on this whole thing. It's ridiculous, right? Like what, for what reason? For what reason should you need to feel this way in what was, let's be real, a rom-com. I'm not in any way putting a rom-com into what we've called a pink ghetto, but There's an idea that maybe a woman is better at understanding sort of the emotions that might be necessary in a film like that. A, Mm -hmm. fine. So, but fine, we can sort of take this as the ongoing growing up of Anne Hathaway, and she didn't know in 2011 when she was like 32 or whatever, uh, what she knows now, fine. Let's maybe go ahead with that. The part that makes me angrier is the language that she uses. She says, and I quote, <clears throat> I'm so scared that I treated her with the eternalized misogyny, and I'm scared that I didn't give her everything she needed on some level. I really regret not trusting her more easily, and to this day I'm scared that the reason I didn't trust her is the way I trust other directors is because she's a woman. Uh-huh. Call it what it is. I'm scared I did this. Oh, yes. I'm so afraid I did that. Oh, I. It's almost like building in
1: a, hey… I was afraid instead of being like, you know what? I was a dick.
0: Exactly. Feel right? sorry for me. That's I was right. So, I'm scared that I did this. Maybe yes. I did. It also allows for the element of doubt. It yes. allows for somebody, the director, yeah. somebody to be like,
1: no. You were wonderful. It was great. Which is what happened because, I mean, again, when you, as you said, when you use words like that, of course it puts Lone Shervig in a position of like, well, I can't, you know, step up and be like, can you just call it what it is? Than you were, you know, being an asshole. Yes, exactly. Um, And Lone Shurfrig has
0: released a statement. Right. Um, Yeah. Or her people have released a statement, right? Uh, So it says, uh, the director uh, is deep in pre-production of her next film and is consumed by it. She asked me to express her love and admiration for Anne and her work. I mean, that's a very gentle, very subtle little fuck you. (laughs) I don't need your six years later apology. Yeah, I don't need your. I'm scared that maybe I did this, but I don't know because I'm not that smart about what I did. Yeah. you know what you were doing, and
1: I think that I mean, listen, I I agree with you in terms of the presentation of this. Mm-hmm. Like we ha- we nobody is perfect, and we probably have all acted with internalized misogyny at the moment when you realize it or you would like to address it and you would like to move the conversation forward, is the right way to couch it in fear and in I don't know and I'm not sure? Or do you call it what it is, label it what it is, identify it for what it is? Yes,
0: this is who I was. I regret it. You know what else bothers me about it? Uh, Well, first of all, it's disingenuous because… Anne Hathaway is not stupid. She'd been around the block a few times and she's incredibly, incredibly careful about what she talks about, right? Uh, Except for the fact that she was sleeping with a felon for a couple years. (laughs) She's incredibly, incredibly, like, tasteful and careful about the things that she says, right? Mm -hmm. So she knows what she's doing. She knows she's creating buzz and headlines and this is going to be a story all weekend long and like, oh, Anne Hathaway, let's go see her in that movie. Who directed that movie, a man or a woman? The other thing that drives me nuts is it's a bat signal to men. She's also saying like, oh, hey, man, I have felt the same way you have. Like I too have questioned female directors. Like well, you and I, we know how it is because you know, like bracket under her breath, you and I know sometimes women aren't that great. So I'm really scared that I acted with misogyny this time. Oh, that's a great point, Duanna. It is that, that segment like, it's almost permission. It's permission and it's putting her on the side with them, right? Hire me, men. I'm going to be one of those girls who's easy to get along with. I'm and not going to be a troublesome feminist. Here to feminist. please you. That's right. Yeah. It enrages me. But. Is that
1: enough to be like, oh, we can pick up the trend of hating Anne Hathaway again? No.
0: Like, and. No, that's not what it's for. And. Like, I'm always the one screaming about just because some things are bad doesn't mean that all things cannot be anything. You know, I hate when there's progress made in one avenue and people say, yeah, but what about this? And I'm sure we have to believe this of Anne Hathaway, who, by the way, I have always been a staunch defender of. You know, somebody who works hard, somebody who is earnest, somebody who's just trying to do her shit and is kind of very awkward... I've always wanted to be on side with this person, um, but I find this disingenuous. So does it make her a little distasteful to me? Yes. Hate is not the word I would use.
1: No, it's not the word. But I I would say that it's a bit disappointing, Mm -hmm. particularly on this issue, because I do think that this was a great opportunity to address the fact that misogyny is lived and experienced Um, And, uh, how do you say, like put out there by both men and women. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that we can actually confront the roots of it and to look at it for what it is without actually being honest, not like not apologetically apologizing.
0: Right. And being in it. Yes. Say you're sorry if you did a wrong thing. Say, I was
1: an asshole, I have learned, but this is who I was and I've tried to change it
0: or I'm trying to change it. Don't half-ass it. Don't go 70% on it because now I don't know what you're trying to say. And also, that's the human condition. I was wrong. I made a mistake. I learned. I feel a bit better. I feel a bit stupid but also a bit better. That's what we're all doing all the time. You know when you look back at something that you wrote or said or did five years ago, even if nobody saw it, even if it wasn't a rom-com with Jim Sturgis, and you're like, oh, I was an asshole, Um, you kind of go, oh, okay, well, I know better now. Well, the
1: reason why is because all of this with all the words and the I'm scared, I'm scared I didn't, I'm scared I might have, I'm scared that maybe, then it all becomes a hypothetical.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it also serves to maybe excuse the performance if it turns out to not have been one of her best, right? It's also an asterisk beside, oh, well, I wasn't as great an actor because I didn't feel comfortable with the director.
1: Or the film, well, let's let's call it for what it is, if we have to, like I would say the film didn't do as well as she had hoped. Sure, but you it know, wasn't
0: well reviewed, it wasn't, and so, but I, it's also not one that people are still talking about, right? Like this is not uh I don't remember it in the grand list of Anne Hathaway, like but like that's performances. why You can't complain about your performance in let's say, brokeback, because it's beloved, right? You can't complain about, what was she, Catwoman? Yeah. Um, Because everybody's already done it for you. I also feel like One Day is an easy target because everybody has forgotten this movie. And now everybody's going to go back and maybe watch it and then watch Colossal and, oh, is she better? And see, she is better with a male director. It's very calculated. Mm -hmm. It's very skillful, I think. And I think that that is something to be, if not commended, at least recognized. She chose a target that's a little bit unassailable, uh, and Anne Hathaway knows her way around the press by now. So that is something to sort of recognize, that I don't think this was by accident. I don't think it was oh, a slip of the please. tongue. please. It was totally strategic. I mean, she's talking to Peter
1: Travers, she's talking about her career, she's talking about the work. Um, When and if this anecdote was going to come up, this was going to be the
0: perfect interview for it to come up in. But he was never going to be like, so anyway, how it was one day? Tell me about what that was like six years later. So, yes, it
1: was definitely driven by her. And, I mean, I'm going to, as you said, Anne Hathaway is the kind of actor who is prepared. Mm -hmm. She does do her work. She Mm -hmm. does her homework. So I'm not going to pretend and be like… Anne Hathaway just showed up that day for an interview with Peter Travers and didn't have in her mind certain key messages that she
0: wanted to put out there. That's right. And I would even venture that they came from her and not… You know, she's savvy enough to know, yeah, we need to do X at the box office. This is not coming from a publicist or a producer or whatnot. This is her way of promoting her work. And to a certain extent, it worked very well. Oh, And, and herself. Yes, And yes, I would say strategically, sure,
1: it is probably the thing that she's gotten the most headlines for during the promotion tour for Colossal. In my opinion, for the purposes of Show Your Work and our our podcast and how we grade work, I wouldn't say that I give her a passing grade on how she strategically delivered this message. That said, did it land softly, Duanna? It did. There's no backlash. I mean, maybe by Monday I'm going to see something um, by someone who's like, oh, hey, like, you know, let's not be that impressed with what Anne Hathaway did, but I wonder if
0: it's just going to be like, this is what she said. Well, she- I hope we're it. I hope we're the ones saying that. Uh, but I still have to commend the, the stealthiness of the, sure. the deployment. Because there are some people who are not so skilled.
1: No, and uh, that's where we come to Blake Lively. <laughs> so we are recording this on Friday. You will hear this on Monday, but on Friday in New York City uh, was the Variety Power of Women event. Um, every year they put five or six women on the cover, applauding them for their work, their philanthropy, their setting an example. Blake Lively is one of the women of the Power Women of Variety for 2017. And uh, we will post the video um, with this blog post, but essentially what happened was Blake Lively was on the red carpet. Someone asked her a fashion question and she, quote, popped off.
0: So I want to be specific. Apparently the question was, what would your power outfit be? And that is important to note because uh, we've been there, you and I. Both many times, yes? We have been there on the other side, asking the question. Let's break it down for a second, just to really… everything that I'm about to say, you're about to say, is a bit of a review, but I just want to kind of add it up a little bit. So, the reporter was there and asked a question that was kind of a pun on the name of the event. The Yes, the Power Women… the Power what? of Women event. What's your power outfit, she asked. Let's say that that's a true thing. Yes. The reporter was there because she had been invited to cover this event. Correct. As in, please come speak to Blake Lively, who is scheduled to speak to you, and in exchange, please give us some press. So there's, that's Correct. a double request, right? Please come and talk to this person, and please come and give us some press about it. Oh, and by the way, make it good press. Correct. And so… There's an exchange there in the relationship. The other side of the exchange, of course, is Blake Lively or any other bold name who's on a red carpet, sells papers, gets clicks, whatever, right? The publicists or organizers of the event who organize this, we know this. We know what this relationship is about. Yeah? Yeah. We're all all still there so far. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the reason that… Reporters so often ask, what are you wearing on the red carpet? The reason that the question has come up is because many, many, many celebrities get the free things to wear and they get the free things to wear in exchange for… She has to say, I'm wearing Dior. Right. Or Instagram it or tweet it or whatever. Sure. Right? Like that's a thing that happens. So these are all kind of moving parts of relationships that we, that we know exist. This is where this Blake Lively popping off is so offside. Well, because I want to make sure that we're clear about this. You know, there are people who say, well, it was an important event. Okay, it was an important event. It was a red carpet. A red carpet is glitzy and glamorous by definition. You want to have a serious event? Hold a press conference. Hold a one-on-one interview in very staid, tweed chairs. If you want to talk about the very serious issue of child pornography and how you're working about it and you want people to take you seriously, then go ahead and have a serious conversation in a serious context. If you notice in, in the video, it's Blake Lively standing there and looking lovely, I'm sure, in in an outfit that, let's just call it out seconds later was Instagrammed by the designer. Brandon Maxwell. Was like, look, Blake Lively wearing this. She's so wonderful. And I'm so proud of her for all the work that she's doing
1: for child pornography. But yes, the designer Instagrammed the photo to ID the fact that
0: his clothing was being worn by her. And Blake Lively is inches from a publicist or, uh, you know, handler or producer of the event who is shepherding her through the line and, uh, you know, maybe whispering comments in her ear when she needs a little plug for for what she's supposed to be saying because, P.S., she needs a little plug for what she's going to be saying. Right. Go ahead. You pop off. Go ahead. Dig in.
1: Look, when you watch the video, and I'm sure by now you've seen it, she's essentially lecturing the reporter She's like, really? At this event, you're going to ask me what I'm wearing? Like, uh, uh, okay, well, you know what? We need to do better to support women, so I'm going to give you another chance, and you can
0: ask me another question. You just were more articulate, though, than she was then. She's like, we're <laughs> here to to change and, and, so, and women and build them up, and so you can ask me another question, but… Yes, and this is my point, because… What we do
1: here, specifically to our show, is we talk about work mm-hmm. and the effectiveness or lack of effectiveness of how these celebrities and these people perform their work. That's right. And so, to me, sure, you can have this sanctimonious moment and it's going to make headlines. People are talking about it. I'm sure you all will, be have, like, will have already emailed lots of us about what we think and you're expecting the post on Monday and whatever. But does it move the conversation forward? What does it do for you, Blake Lively, and your cause, and your entire career, all the things that have lined up to, quote, pop off like this and give the reporter a lecture? The headline is, Blake Lively pops off, watch Blake Lively lecture a reporter. Does it say anything about you and your work with child pornography? No, it, that all of that gets lost. There it, was a better way to do this. There was another more efficient, more effective road to take, and she either didn't know what that looks like, or she chose not to take it.
0: Well, she lost her cool. You know, that's what's so am- kind of amazing about this moment, is that… I spent a few minutes before we started recording this podcast Googling uh, references to gracious Blake Lively. Uh, graciousness, and it, had I had time, I would have combed through the entire sure. archive of Preserve to find how right. many times that was used. Certainly she's referred to as gracious all the time. Right. This is not the gracious way to deal with a question you don't like. You know who's gracious on the red carpet, no matter what she's asked? Sarah Jessica Parker. I was going to say that! I was going to say that. You watch that woman handle any question that comes at her and she is smooth and polite and she can ask the question and she can finish the question and she can move on from the question. This… She was caught unaware and she lost her mind. Uh, It's it's really surprising because you'd think that this far into her career, this far into her husband's career she'd be a little more deft at dealing with a question she doesn't like. She got so indignant, so much of a... I'm going to say it. She was the cliché that people talk about when they say social justice warrior, which is something that usually gets me upset because I will SJW at you for as long as I can. But she was... She didn't have any cool to begin with. I don't... I actually... I think I might have to disagree with
1: you there about her being caught unaware. I don't know that her reaction was about being unaware or being caught unaware and like surprised by it. I think it stems from the fact that she was going to an event where for for better or worse, she was being highlighted for a seriousness that… Previously in her career, she hasn't been highlighted for. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, well, now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being spoken of in the same breath as like the Jessica Chastain's of the world. How many times nominated Jessica Chastain? You know what Chelsea I mean? Chelsea
0: Clinton is there you go. in this same context. Audra McDonald, Gail King, Sherry Redstone. And let's
1: face it, I don't think Blake Lively would have been unaware of the fact that some eyebrows would have been raised when Variety announced their 27 list, or sorry, 2017 list of power women that you have the Chelsea Clintons and Jessica Chastain and who else? Gail King, Gail King, Audra McDonald. Uh, there Sherry you go. Redstone. And like, I'll call myself out for it. Like, is it unfair of me? Perhaps. Like, maybe I'm pulling an Anne Hathaway here, but I would look at that list and I would say, which one doesn't quite fit? So, okay. So she would have gone in knowing, oh, well, you know, people still see me as Serena Vanderwoodson and Preserve and, like, all the fucking, you know, I'm a Cherokee fucking princess. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And uh, this is going to be my opportunity to show them that I can be I am woman, hear me roar. And ugh, to me, that's, this is not the way to do it.
0: But so your point that she wasn't taken by surprise… Either she was taken by surprise or her feelings of insecurity that you are pointing out are so close to the surface that Mm -hmm. she couldn't contain them. Either way, that's a bad look. Bad look. It's not good at all. And she comes off as looking quite critical and also really naive about that ecosystem of celebrity and red carpet and reporter and knowing that people want a soundbite and knowing what her job is to get the message across in tiny little bites, to be a spokesperson that people want to be appealing enough that people want to hear her talk about serious, unappealing topics, right? Because that's the other thing here. There are many, many men and women working behind the scenes on these very important issues that these women are being honored for, right? Yes. Like, Blake Lively is doing… One thing for this, she's raising awareness. That's what having Blake Lively attached to your cause does, right? She's raising awareness and she's going to this event, this power of women
1: event to be like, hey, women in Hollywood have the power to do X, Y, and Z. Now, to go back to the naivete that you just were addressing and link it with Sarah Jessica Parker… The reason why both of us thought of Sarah Jessica Parker is because she would have been much more articulate and savvy and respectful of artists to be able to turn a question like that into something that celebrated art and a message at the
0: same time. And calm and not insecure. Look, I will tell, I was once asked to ask a question on the red carpet. My… employers, my editors, and by the way, it's always coming from the top. That poor reporter who asked uh, has somebody at back at the ranch who would have otherwise said, why didn't you find out who the designer was or get her to say something about the outfit? I was asked to ask something very uh, sensitive on the red carpet. And it was not really the time for it on the red carpet, but I had to do it. This is my job. You got to do your job. Sometimes it's really uncomfortable. And I took a deep breath and tried to ask only the question as sincerely as I could, uh, you know. And also, the, the person I asked, the celebrity that I asked, responded in kind, in the way that you hope and expect, but pray they, pray they will respond, but don't always. It can be done. You can take somebody by surprise and have them listen to the question and go, oh, that's unusual. Let me take that with me. Uh, that was going from frivolous to not frivolous. One thinks you can do both here. It's not like Blake Lively is uh, giving up her career for a life of philanthropy. It's not like she's not next going to be auditioning to play Bumblebee Girl or whatever role is coming across her desk next. You got to be able to do both. And she just didn't. It's she didn't. Like you, don't,
1: you don't take a question about power and feeling powerful. What was the question? What do you wear when you feel powerful? Yeah, what's your power outfit or something? Right, and then just yell at somebody and demand a new question. To go back to Sarah Jessica Parker, what she would have said, or what I think she would have said in some iteration, because Sarah Jessica Parker actually recognizes fashion as a form of expression…
0: Which, by the way, you can't also shit on fashion when you're being paid to wear fashion. That's right, and when you're the spokesperson of a beauty line… What SJP,
1: I think, or the likes of just SJP would have been like is, you know, certainly power has to come from within, but fashion is art, and art can be a form of expression of who you are. I feel so powerful when I get to choose who I'm going to be that day. That's right. Not everybody has that opportunity. I have certain colors that I feel powerful in. Tiger Woods would only wear red when he plays. Where are you, Tiger? But. Wait, is that
0: a real thing? Is that why he always wore a red shirt?
1: So not only red, but Tiger Woods specifically wore red on the final day of a golf tournament. There are four days in a golf tournament. He always wears red on the final day because that for him is attack day. Okay. Red is aggression day. So you know what? I feel like, you know, someone like Sarah Jessica Parker could have turned that question from power into expression, into fashion, and then into we're here for…
0: Power and I how can, can do women? It. You can do you can it. Do I it. can do it. It's, Why is it that Blake Lively couldn't fucking do it? Here, guys, homework assignment: send us your one-liner about uh, an outfit you feel powerful in that would have been appropriate in this context. Here's my submission. Ready? Uh, I feel powerful when I'm in something like jeans and a shirt, which means I can run around after my daughters and be in their lives no matter what. I'm here because so many little girls don't have the lives like my daughters do. Blah, 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 blah. You're welcome. Please send (laughs) in your one-liners. We will read the best ones on the next episode.
1: I just want to say that my final note on this, because I have written a lot about this, about certain actresses' aversion to answering the fashion question on the red carpet and that whole, like, hashtag Ask Her More campaign, which you all have read probably too much of me bitching about it, is there is something to be said about power in fashion specifically for actors, actresses, sorry. Um, Zoe Saldana said it in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter a few years ago, also a quote that I bring up often, but she has said, Petra Flannery and I work together on my outfits and we present it to the studio as a way to market the films. It gets more attention for the campaign on every red carpet, and it directs eyeballs to what we're promoting. That has become an asset to me as an actor that I bring to a studio. It's not a disadvantage if you make it an advantage. And just
0: highlight it. I I have to say, and I didn't expect to go here, uh, a reader and I'm so sorry, reader, for not remembering uh, whether you sent uh, this to me via Twitter or email, pointed out to me uh, that there was an entire Twitter account created for the outfits that were made for Beauty and the Beast for Emma Watson, right? Emma Watson, who everybody agrees, is working towards very important causes. She's very upfront about it. Her fashion is meant to be sustainable, Her whole thing is about what can I do to sort of meld my two worlds of the the fabulous and glamorous and wonderful, because otherwise we wouldn't be here, and the important and the people who don't get voices and meld them. How do I knit them together? And one of the ways was I can show the work behind all these beautiful dresses that I wear. I can show the people who are working on them, the sketches, etc., Whomever you are who pointed out this Twitter account to me, I will find the Twitter account. We will link to it. I'm so sorry that I don't remember who sent it to me, but you were unwittingly priming us for this discussion. Of course, fashion can be important. And, and lastly, even if it weren't, even if there were a situation where the question was irrelevant at best, let's say, who deserves to be yelled at in the context of their jobs, we're not saving lives here. I, yes, in theory, there is something to be said for in, in a very dissociative way. Maybe there are some lives being saved, but it's a red carpet. It's a reporter. Nobody deserves to be screamed at in that scenario. I can't say anything more. Nobody deserves to be yelled
1: at in the context
0: of doing their job. Um,
1: speaking of people who are doing their jobs and in different ways, maybe more effectively than Blake Lively… Uh, about two weeks ago, I feel like I had to convince you to talk about Harry Styles. Oh yes, I agree with that. And then you pitched Harry Styles to me this week.
0: Well, I pitched a specific part, correct? Of Harry Styles to you, yes. Um, to me, I was interested in an article in Vox that talked about Harry Styles and his attitude towards the girls who listen to his music, the women who listen to his music, maybe. Uh, in fact, the the line is, uh, Harry Styles gives a masterful defense of his teen girl fan base. I found that to be really interesting and a really interesting uh, place for him to, yes, to spin his story. Harry Styles has a story to spin, right? He's new, he's a solo artist, he wore a brown watch, uh, uh, what do we call that? He wore a windowpane suit on Saturday Night Live that I kind of liked. I liked anything that, you know, is going to age somebody up a little bit. Um, As we know, this is my thing. Uh, So I I like this quite a lot because I think this is unusual. Uh, He has this quote. Music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young girls like the Beatles. You're going to tell me they're not serious? How can you say young girls don't get it? They're our future. There are future doctors, lawyers, mothers, president. They kind of keep the world going. Teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you and they tell you, which is sick. Oh my God, who's Harry Styles' speechwriter? <laughs> so, and to be clear,
1: this uh, quote came from the new Harry Styles profile in Rolling Stone. Um, and it was prompted by uh, Cameron Crowe, who wrote the piece. Asking him if he has any anxiety or whatever about people looking down on him because his fan base is so largely teen girl. Right. And that was his response.
0: Which is huge, but also it's pretty rare. I think there are a lot of people who say, and we've seen it over and over again, right? An artist says, oh, I really want to expand. I really want to change my, uh, my music. I finally get a chance to do what I want to do. And now I want to move on or change things up or change my style, and I hope my fans will appreciate that and come with me and whatnot. This is a lot more overt. No, what's what's the problem with teenage girls and teenage girls? Everybody is a teenage girl or a teenage boy at some point, and why denigrate them? I was I was surprised. I quite like.
1: I, mean, I was I found it quite impressive. Mm-hmm. I I liked the tactic. Um. Uh, I totally agree with you. Instead of doing what many would do and be like, you know, it's a new me and I hope that other demographics like it, it was like, oh, no, this demographic is just fine. Uh, let's not belittle them. And I particularly like the quote about the 30-year-old hipster. Like, that. That what, is that the is that supposed to be the i don't know the benchmark the 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 authoritative voice for what good music is or what good music should be or what music you should buy um i yeah i i can't find anything to hate about it Al- although i will say that whole interview mm-hmm. was really smart that whole profile so like is he like this is he always this sort of savvy i guess i I don't know that we can answer that question because I don't know that we knew, right? Because he was just one of five, then four. No, you loved him before uh, look, others. Look, I thought… My, the extent of my, um, you know, knowledge on Harry Styles was I I think he's super cute. I like them young. not Like,
0: I don't like the mountain men. I like the youthful ones. Okay, can we just… But we have to have I a think sidebar super here. super fucking cute. Little square bracket. A mountain man is not the same thing as an older gentleman. I'm not sure where <laughs> this became conflated in your mind. In my
1: mind, I see it as, like, the body of Jason Moa meets Tom Selleck. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, whenever I'm talking to someone else, and if someone else would ask me, like, oh, what type is Duanna attracted to? <laughs> like, what comes to mind immediately, for some reason, is Tom
0: Selleck. <laughs> I mean, okay, but Tom Selleck is not a mountain man.
1: (laughs) But he's like, uh, you know, runs down the beach in, like, grunting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure where we got to here. I... I don't know, man. Tom Selleck, I think, is a Republican. Uh, I was not mad at <laughs> that May, the December, look of it. <laughs> like, storyline that they did on Friends. Like, it's not so far off base. But Mountain Man, I think, evokes something else. It evokes that, like, second male lead on Tool Time with Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Like, that's a different thing. Okay, let's go from Mountain Man. I'm just going to say it, Tom Selleck from now on. Do you, wanna, do you want a real, uh, a real like, <laughs> a real sort of, if you want the the metric by which we can sort of gauge everybody, we can start at Roger Sterling. How's that? Okay. All right, good. Roger Sterling is old. Yeah, he's nice, hot.
1: Okay, but, okay, fine. So, you're Roger Sterling, I'm Harry Styles. Fine, good. So, um, the point is, is that I always thought he was cute, but I didn't know anything about him. Right. Well, besides Taylor Swift. Right? And, like, he may have been a little bit of a cad with her, whatever. Oh, my God. He was a child. Right. But whatever. So she made him sound like a cad. Anyway, I didn't know, and I don't think I cared to know, Uh the level of um, intelligence of Harry Styles and whether or not Harry Styles would be good at turning a Rolling Stone profile into… This kind of vehicle for him to launch his solo career. So, what I'm saying is that his whole profile, including that quote about teens, was really well done. He's flirtatious. Mm-hmm. Um, he's flirting with you through the writer. Mm-hmm. And there's this part where uh, Cameron Crowe asks about Taylor Swift. Right, right, and right. he says, I need to go pee first. Um, because this is going to be like probably a long discussion. So, I need to go pee first. He's like, but ha ha, I might not come back. So there's something, there's a tease there. He's like,
0: he's telling Cameron Crowe, oh, I've got something to say, but I'm a, that's why I have to go pee. And we're talking about uh, Harry Styles, but let's also show the work of Cameron Crowe, who includes yes, that anecdote. That's right. Because it entices you, the reader, and makes you feel like you're there. Yes. interrupts the story to give you a bit of intimacy.
1: That's like waving the French fries in front of you, right? And being like, oh, they're two minutes from being done. I mean, it was so evocative. Like, to me, I got that sense. And that was very clever, right, of both Cameron Crowe and of Harry Styles. Mm -hmm. He did a great job, a really good job for his really, like, essentially his first major magazine profile on this level as a solo artist.
0: Does he have to do a good job? Like, is this what's required? Let's be frank here. Harry Styles may be palatable. He may, you know, I gauged uh, the song the first time I heard it by the fact that I was sitting here listening to it and Yassick did not say, oh, God, turn it off. So, you know, that's something. And uh, he acquitted himself well on Saturday Night Live. So he's got a lot going for him. But in order to aim at what we all wink wink know he's aiming at, which hints at being superstardom, right? Which mm-hmm. hints at being the Justin Timberlake as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, or more, or the Robbie Williams, or or somebody bigger than that. D- uh, does he need this? Does he need sort of us to say, oh, he's intelligent for that buy-in, or is this extra? Is this who Harry Styles is? I would like to believe that he was reaching out to you
1: and to me. You know, the One Direction fan who loved him was going to love him anyway. As he said, she's there. It's mm-hmm. sick. Mm-hmm. So you have that and you produce a quote that keeps them engaged and makes them happy, validates their loyalty, and then speaks to you, Duanna and Laney. But isn't that just as calculating as Anne Hathaway? 100%. Like, if if we're giving him the credit of being calculating, if this is by design, 100%. But I'll buy it. Sure. As we always say, what's our phrase? Is that, if that If that's
0: going to be what you sell and you sell it that well, I'm in. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. It's a bit… You know, if if we're working on this big campaign of 2017, get Duanna to like Harry Styles, uh, you know, uh, points for the song, points for the suit, uh, <laughs> points for the quote. Yeah. But now it's a bit bland. Now I'm like, eh, like give me something interesting. Now I need something. Where's with, the follow-up? I need something with a bit of teeth. Uh, but, you
1: know, when we talk about comparing the work then, because, you know, this is what we've done so far… Anne Hathaway, Blake Lively, Harry Styles. This is, we've seen this before and we've seen it go a different direction. We've seen it in someone, for example, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Who, Titanic, right? Jack Dawson. And he found that so oppressive Mm -hmm. that everything since then has been, I do not want to be seen as a pinup boy. I don't want you to fall in love with me that way. I will only play these characters that are like, that do come, man, 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 that do um, appeal to the 30-year-old hipster, right?
0: But not me, but yes.
1: And then, yes. And then the acolytes, his acolytes. So the people who will have followed, like who followed his path. And most recently, you have the Robert Pattinson. Vulture did um, a piece this week about how Robert Pattinson has gone from Twilight and is working on becoming a character actor. So he wants to go away from the days where he's in a movie where girls are screaming at him so, uh, and be taken seriously as a character actor. So what does he do? He works with weirdos. He plays weirdos. You know, he works with, like, Cronenberg. And I know you're rolling your eyes there, but I feel like that is the Leonardo DiCaprio school. That's the Johnny Depp school. Do you remember
0: who we featured in the very first episode of this podcast? Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) Who we fist pump pump about
1: and we love him. And we have, as you said, I think last week, I have all the time in the world for Dwayne Johnson. Do you know
0: how unlikely it is for me to care about Dwayne The Rock Johnson? But you know what? He embodies one of the most important lessons I've ever learned about Hollywood. comes from an amazing book called Hello, He Lied by a producer named Linda Obst. Uh, it's a fascinating account of producing all kinds of movies that she was producing: uh, the Fisher King, and uh, we've quoted the, her the, on the, this podcast uh, before, and so forth. And maybe I'm gonna—yes, yeah, that's right—we have talked about her. And one of the phrases that sticks out most from that book, which is a great read, "Ride the horse in the direction it's going." If you are Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and what you really want to do is God—I don't know—Manchester by the Sea. But what is coming at you is Moana. Take Moana. Ride the horse. See where it takes you. Don't be kicking and screaming and trying to drag the horse in a different direction because it's not going to work or you're going to have a rocky road of it. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is still swearing up and down that he's not the heartthrob and getting defensive and grumpy at anybody who thinks he is. Blake Lively. Getting defensive and grumpy at anybody who implies she's a clothes horse. Ride the horse in the direction it's going, embrace all the things, and you get to where you're going a lot faster and a lot smoother. Well, I mean, and that said, you don't have to shit on
1: what made you in order to get to where you want to go next. No, everybody gets that you don't, nobody starts at the top. Nobody starts at the top. So this is what I appreciate, to go back to Harry Styles, is that right now he is not delineating the pre-solo and the after-solo parts of his career. He's like, sure, I I do want to try something new. This is my sound. You know, I was sort of experimenting with things when I was with One Direction. I will not shit on One Direction. I will not shit on the people who made One Direction what it is and therefore who I am right now and giving me this opportunity, Um, but I still want to go, like, I still want to try this thing. Great! I think that I, like, listen, the reason why I will buy this is because I'd rather that than the Leonardo DiCaprios of the world who are like, don't see me as Jack Dawson and want to love me anymore and want to, like, have me in romance movies and, uh, like, with Rose and, and
0: this and that. Fuck that. You don't need to disavow what got you here. So that concept, though, that idea that you don't need to shit on what you were before in order to get where you're going is uh, kind of something that's bothering a lot of people about the finale of Girls. It's been a week now. Did you... Have you seen it? I have. So you've heard then about the kind of the criticisms of the final episode. Almost everybody agrees that the penultimate episode where Hannah sort of does her goodbye to her feels more like a traditional finale episode. The next episode, uh, Latch, uh, is a coda, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, to drop a music nerd term in there. And my feelings about it, which I wrote about on on Lainey Gossip, uh, were that it was indicative of Hannah, the character, going to a place where nobody could be with her. If the show is about girls and you're all romantic about friend groups and having to leave friends behind and so forth, then she goes to this endeavor and she has to go it alone out of necessity because that's how it is. Uh, As I said in the article, no matter how many partners or mommy groups or whatever you have, taking on an endeavor like that is fucking lonely. And I thought that was the point for that character. A lot of people didn't see it that way. No. A lot of people felt that having Hannah be concerned with uh, breastfeeding her child and or the goddamn rigmarole about formula or etc. cetera, uh, there's not going to be any food shaming here, uh, was implying that her whole life was fixed by breastfeeding a baby. There's also a faction that uh, thinks that Judd Apatow is to blame for this. Right. But before we go further, I wanted to know what you thought.
1: When I watched it, and I do find that When I watch TV now, I… I can't get you out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And especially with critical key episodes on these kinds of shows, I always hear you and every scene I ask, is this true to the character? Do I buy that this character would behave like this? Mm -hmm. And in the writing, am I giving the audience what they want or what they need. Mm -hmm. So I have heard also the criticism that there are people who think this was the motherhood whitewash and that all of these stories end in someone being a mom. And when you say all of
0: these stories…
1: like people are saying that um, the criticism has been like, why does it have to be that for a woman to find fulfillment or to find herself or to find the way, it's through parenthood.
0: Right. And these shows meaning uh, The Mindy Project. That's or... right.
1: Or like the people who think that um, what's missing from Sex and the City and why there needs to be a third movie is because Carrie and Big haven't had a baby yet.
0: Oh my God, and, you guys. Do you know how old that woman is? Right.
1: So like that would be the natural narrative of of where things go, right? Right. Um, And… <sighs> I get that because I have called out the motherhood whitewash in real life, you know, with real life celebrities who are suddenly forgiven or liked more or whatever as soon as they become parents. But at the same time, that is
0: real life. I also wondered, uh, one of the reasons, of course, that I want to talk to you about it is because I have a baby who's not a baby at all. And you don't, and we've talked about this, and I am very acutely aware that you... (laughs) Having a child does shit all to erase any selfishness or any childishness or uh, dickishness that you may have in your own person. But,
1: you know, at the same time, for better or for worse, would someone like Hannah have ended up having a baby to go back to the character? Would someone who was in her 20s when we met her and was this kind of person and was selfish and flighty... Would she have gone to go have a child and then found herself fulfilled? Don't we
0: know people like that? Of course. And (laughs) more importantly than, oh, people like Hannah, it's people. I want to be careful about what I'm going to say. But for someone like Hannah, a fictional character who, you know, for all the six seasons that we've known her, call it six years if you want to, is kind of no further ahead than she was at the beginning. She needs a change. She needs a thing. You know, in the second episode of the show, uh, way back when it premiered, there was an abortion. I'm going to throw the best abortion ever, says Marnie. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Uh, And it was very de regard that the character would have an abortion. It was supposed to be Jessa who would have the abortion. She she winds up not needing it. Uh, But that's very well understood. We know that's a place that this show can go. Hannah could have had an abortion because that would have been well within the scope of the characters. She makes a different choice because, in theory, the characters have gone from A to Z in the course of the series. If you end the way you began, the fact that it wasn't Hannah in that episode notwithstanding, I, you know, I don't know where you've come. And not everybody who decides to have a child or make any other decision, like move to Europe or... I'm, you know, I'm becoming a, guys, I'm becoming a painter, or any other sort of quarter-life crisis that we've seen people go through, as you say, in our lives as well as on television. It is, there are things associated with it, certainly. I can certainly see, oh, there's purity associated with motherhood, maybe, by the way. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't fix any lives, and that's why I wonder whether... There's something missing in translation. One of the reasons I said that there's criticism toward Judd Apatow is because people believe that he always fixes things with family. That you're not an adult until you have a family. That that is sort of a a message that has come through. This is 40 and knocked up and now girls. But this is where I come back to want and need.
1: Give them what they want, not what they need. Or give them what they need, not what they want. Mm -hmm. Because I think that… Under the weight of its own expectation and all the talk that has followed Girls since the very beginning and who it was supposed to be for and what it was supposed to be about and all the messages that it was supposed to hit, people went into that series finale expecting that it was going to be a combination of groundbreaking message-making television and Lena Dunham crusading to uh, put forward um, whatever it is that she stands for. So we go into all of that, and people are saying, this is supposed to make a statement. The end of the show has to be a statement. It's going to be this. And I don't know that that services the story, but in ending the way that it did, I wonder if people were hoping for one statement and missed the one that it actually made. Hannah chooses the life of a single mother. Mm -hmm. And to go… The reason why I'm saying this now is because you just brought up Judd Apatow Mm -hmm. and that whole motherhood thing, but I'm not sure that Judd Apatow and single motherhood are things that match.
0: No, and to Judd Apatow's credit, he has always, when he's been asked about girls over the years, he's always expressed an understanding of what the show is for. When you say, I think people are waiting for a message, I think a lot of them are waiting for absolution. Uh, the Mary Tyler Moore equivalent of, you're going to make it okay now that you're 30 in the city girls. Uh, They're waiting for something radical. And if you want then, if you want to hang
1: your hat on something radical, what is radical is that a woman chose to be a single mother. It is still radical, Duanna. Oh yeah. Think about the. I, I know. I'm not. I don't mean, I know. I don't need to convince you. But let's do it anyway. Go on. There is still stigma against single mothers. Huge stigma. There is so much uh, riding against single mothers. Oh, it's
0: goddamn hard. Even if you have an army of people to help you. You know how people love to say, "Oh, celebrities have an army of nannies and whatnot." Let's say you do. It's still ridiculously hard on your body. Nobody can take that away from you. It's still a rocking your world. Take that away. Take away anything. Yes, single motherhood is ridiculously hard. Being a mother when you are when you don't have a support group. That is to say she doesn't have a bunch of young new mothers around who are who are going through it with her. She's choosing the radical choice, right? She's doing the radical thing by not staying in New York for another decade to party in a party that you get the impression in the second last episode is going to be going on a decade later. So exactly. And on top of all that, what she
1: chose was to be a single mother starting a new career. Mm -hmm. So you want radical? To me, unfortunately, I still see that as radical and I feel like every single mother who made the same decision would probably agree, given what they're going through. And maybe I'm biased a little bit here because I work with several single mothers. Mm-hmm. And so every day I see um, where I am more advantaged than they are. Right. And where in this time of looking for messaging and looking for the right cause to support and the right flag to wave… I do feel like sometimes single mothers get lost.
0: Yeah, you may absolutely, because they don't necessarily have time to be waving a whole bunch of flags, you know? Mm -hmm. There's something else that that reminds me of, and that is that uh, when you're working on uh, any kind of a television show, when you're working on stories, even more than in the movies, there's always a concentration on balancing, is this realistic? Would this happen versus the magic of television? For example, uh, when somebody is broke and needs work on a show, a job shows up. The job can be terrible, the job can be not helpful, but you need the job to show up so we can watch them do something, because watching somebody scroll endlessly through job ads on the internet while sitting on the couch and eating ramen is not interesting. So you need to balance all the time, show but don't tell, and magic of television Mm -hmm. versus realism... And if you want radical, that's also a bit of a fairy tale. Hannah is visibly pregnant when she goes to audition for this job. Audition. God, I don't (laughs) live in the real world. She goes to interview for this job. It's not a problem. And her friends are like, good for you. That's amazing. That is, her friends don't want her to leave New York. But nobody says, how are you going to handle that with a baby? Don't you think that's going to be bad for the baby? Don't you think that you should concentrate on being a good mother? That is a bit of fantasy and radicalism as well, that she's living in a parallel universe where people go, all right, good for you. Way to make a choice. Okay, take it on. Um, And I think that's kind of rare as well. So that's other new messaging that she gave to us that we don't usually see. You know how you brought up Mary Tyler Moore? Yeah.
1: The other show that um, people have talked about in relation to girls that I don't hear right now, and I'm still back on my horse that I'm… What is the expression, right? Beating the horse, vlogging yes, horse. Flogging. a dead horse. About single motherhood is Murphy Brown. And I think I've made you proud.
0: I am making, <laughs> like, preaching actions and beckoning Duana motions. Joanna is,
1: like, swinging her arms in the air and breathing deeply because… You talk about Murphy, uh, Mary Tyler Moore and this, you know, s- woman in the city with her job and like, you know, she's going to make it after all. But we forget that when we talk about the radicalness of single motherhood, how Murphy Brown was attacked. Oh, yeah. Was attacked for making that choice.
0: Well, and how long ago was that? That was 92, I believe. She was uh, became a single mother. Mary Tyler Moore was radical, by the way, for having sex outside of marriage. Correct. Mary Richards, if you read the script, is supposed to be in her early 30s. She lived in an apartment by herself, and it was implied and later proven that she was a person who had had sex, and that was scandalous. In 1992, Murphy Brown had a child as a single mother. We knew she was wealthy. We knew she was incredibly successful. We knew she could do it. And… She still fucking got judged. Hugely. Absolutely. So what, it's 25 years later?
1: Mm-hmm. And we are talking about a girl who was a mess, who in many ways still is a mess, who is starting a new job and decides, oh, I'm going to take on this one more… this just not like this little thing of having a baby.
0: Because there's… and, you know, here's more messaging. God, we didn't know we were going here because there ain't no right time. A, no baby will fix you, and B… There is no right time to do it. It will always be awkward for your career. It will always be at a time when it's not supposed to be. So why shouldn't she? Yeah. Why shouldn't she? It's kind of, the more I think about it, kind of the more I like it. The kind of the more I like it and kind of the more,
1: you know, uh, you're fucked if you do and you're fucked if you don't. Because even when you have a fiancé and you are super, super successful, the greatest of all time… Even then, when you get pregnant, people will still question who you are. So to go back to Lena Dunham, Lena Dunham, we're complaining about this decision she's made and whether or not it was the right narrative and the right or not was the creative
0: decision. Well, well, I'd say Lena Dunham uh, or, for Hannah Horvath. For Hannah. Right. right.
1: But the reason why I believe in you too, Duanna, that this was the right direction for the show is look what happened this week and the reaction to Serena Williams being pregnant. So, Serena Williams, we all know now, the greatest of all time. Let me say that three more times. Goat, goat, goat. She and her fiancé, Alexis, uh, from Reddit, (laughs) Ohanian, um, are expecting a baby. Um, They are saying the baby will be due in the fall. Sorry, sorry,
0: sorry. Let's back up. How did we find out? Let's just be clear on how we found out.
1: Well, we found out because she may have inadvertently, I don't know, Snapchatted a photo of herself… In like this one piece, bright yellow, badass suit, like a swimsuit kind of bodysuit thing. And the caption was 20 weeks. She subsequently pulled that down. Right. And then the, well, and that's, but that's when the speculation began. Is Serena pregnant? She can, has to be pregnant. What else would 20 weeks mean? Blah, blah, blah.
0: I don't want to be the pregnancy whisperer now or anywhere else. But for the uninitiated, 20 weeks means halfway. It means she's literally halfway to cooked, uh, that if she were pregnant, which we have since confirmed, yes, mm-hmm. um, that it's the halfway mark. And yes. so it's a, that's a pretty interesting reveal on its own. And then people said some things. And
1: then, you know, you
0: had, first of all… Let me say that the initial reaction,
1: and by initial I mean the first six hours or maybe six to 12 hours of reaction was pretty awesome because then people put it together that she actually won the Australian Open while 10 weeks pregnant. And I've not been in the same situation, but all my friends who were 10 weeks pregnant at the time were morning sickness, you feel like shit, you can't get out of bed, plus that time difference of Australia. She won a Grand Slam. So everybody talked about that at first. And then, like, after the 12-hour mark, we got these articles about, uh, you know, can Serena Williams come back? So that was number one. Will she be able to? Has this pregnancy affected her career? Will she, you know, join the tour again? Can she win another slam? And then after that, it was, oh, but suddenly this has increased her sponsorship opportunities or potential because... Quote, the pregnancy humanizes her.
0: So. Okay. Uh, I'll be the pregnancy whisperer. You be the tennis whisperer because I don't know as much. Uh, Serena Williams is what age? 36. Greatest of all time has won how many titles? Give me a ballpark.
1: I don't want to give you a ballpark. I want to give you the number. Okay. Um… Sorry, when I said 36, I meant 35, but she turns 36 on September 26th, which also is my birthday. Um, Anyway, so uh, yeah, so she's currently 35 years old, and Serena Williams has won um, a record 23 Grand Slam singles titles, which is the most by a tennis player in the open era. And is second on the all-time list behind Margaret Court. With all due respect to Margaret Court, she played tennis when it was much less competitive. Um, and I'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And- like Margaret Court would not be able to
0: like win,
1: a, a, I don't know, a point off Serena Williams, I don't think.
0: And talk to me like I'm dumb. The Australian Open, which she won when she was, most recently won when she was 10 weeks pregnant, it's a big deal, right? Um, The Australian Open
1: is one of four Grand Slams, so yes. otherwise,
0: there's the… There's the
1: French Open that follows, then there's Wimbledon, and then there's the US Open. Yes. Combined, that is, those are the four Grand Slams, correct. So those are the biggest tournaments in tennis.
0: And you know, I think I understand that when Serena Williams had won, say, each of them once, uh, or you know, everybody was like, "Oh, maybe she'll retire," and she was like, "No, nope, gonna stick around," and kept going, right? And has lapped herself and others several times, right? right?
1: The only thing missing on her career, and I say missing in quotes, is a true Grand Slam, and that is when you win all four of those in one calendar year, right? She does have a Serena Slam. So a Serena Slam is she won the French, Wimbledon, the US Open, and then the Australian Open. But the Australian Open always happens in January. Right. Right? So she won all of them consecutively. She held all of them at the same time, just not in the same calendar year. Right.
0: So, uh, yes. Remind me to use Serena Slam in a different context. Great. Okay, so look, I'm gonna ask the question. Is she going to come back and play more tennis? You know, not because she can't. I'm sure she can. I'm sure she can recover. She's supposed to have the baby in uh, early September, which means that she could be ready for the next year's Australian Open if she wanted to. Let's remember I know nothing about tennis. Um, But is she? Is it boring at a certain point to keep being the one who wins them all? Or is she waiting for the true Grand Slam? What's your gut?
1: My gut is... First of all, my gut is never doubt Serena
0: Williams, so if Serena wants to come back, she's going to come back and she's going to be awesome. Oh, sure. And there's no doubt there, but I'm curious about a move. You know, I said a few minutes ago, there's no right time, and I have no idea sort of what her plans are in the in the greater sense, but it's interesting to think about, would she transition to something else? Is this something that… Look, her
1: publicist… In confirming the pregnancy, said, Serena is due in the fall. She will return to the tour next year. Great. So right now, that's all we have to go on. Right now, she intends to keep playing tennis. As we have all heard, things change once you become a parent. And if she becomes a mother and decides, ah, I've done the tennis thing. I'm just going to chill for a couple of years. Then that's very possible too.
0: When do most people retire?
1: I know men play longer than women, right? Um, Men can play longer than women, but typically, typically, a tennis player will peak at late 20s. Uh Uh-huh. So Serena is already an anomaly Mm -hmm. because, uh, so that's why, like, there's, when I, I stress typically, I don't think that applies to Serena Williams, the greatest of all
0: time, like, You know, I don't, I don't know that... No, many have been and gone in the meantime, right? Like she's, yeah, I I get that she's no, uh, I I really want to say Martina Hingis. I don't even know if that's a relevant name. I just remembered how much we talked about her some year. So, okay, this is great. She's going to return to the tour next year. You know, I guess another question is, is this a political move? If there's never been... A, a world champion tennis player who has, you know, had a child in the course of a, a regular there season.
1: Okay. Or, it, there has been a championship tennis player who has had a baby and come back and won championships. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Davenport. Mm-hmm. However, um, not at Serena's age. Mm -hmm. So Lindsay Davenport was still in her 20s. She went and had a baby and came back after the baby and then
0: won. Did you ever expect we'd talk this much about babies on the Lady Gossip Show Your Work podcast? No, but I mean,
1: like I said, I will talk about whatever, uh, like, I will talk about whatever when it means it's Serena and when it means things that are radical. Because in addition to people doubting or wondering whether and being hand-wringing about whether or not this is fucking going to, like, you know, affect her career as if she didn't already have the greatest tennis career of all time, like, now it's like, oh, suddenly that Serena Williams is pregnant, it'll enhance even more her sponsorship of, like, viability. And the re- there are two things that make me angry about this. How many times have I called her the greatest of all time, like, in this conversation?
0: If we were, you know, the, the kind of podcasters <laughs> who are podcasters, we would have one of those little dings, yeah, go
1: off. There you go. She makes less in endorsements. For a long time, she made less than, in endorsements than Maria Sharapova, who uh, has significantly less wins.
0: Right. The, significantly. The endorsements are not uh, proportionate to the success of the player in this case.
1: And also, uh, Serena is not a cheater. Uh, Serena has not been uh, banned from the sport temporarily for doping. Um, You got to spell it out for those
0: of us who are in the shallow end where tennis is. Well,
1: Maria Sharapova, you know, served a suspension from tennis for being caught, being found positive for a banned substance. This week, she will return
0: to the tour. Oh, how convenient.
1: Yes, exactly. But yes, so Serena has never been banned from the tour for substance violation. Maria Sharapova has. Maria Sharapova makes more money in endorsements than Serena Williams. Now people are saying, oh, finally, Serena might make more money than Maria or at least be more attractive to sponsors now that she's pregnant because it's, quote, humanized her. I'm sorry. I'm like… You know, n- we now we have to use this terminology again, humanizing her, because like, wow, for her entire career, you've been calling her an animal, uh, you've been calling her all kinds of things, you've yeah, been like, calling her be, manly.
0: Let's be honest here. There has been... So now she's a real woman? Racism and sexism has been leveled at Serena Williams, and Venus Williams, we should say, Yeah. since they arrived on the pro circuit. Correct, accurate, affirmative... Do you hear the pause every time I say a a term like pro-circuit to see if I said it right? So, yeah, this is, if you'll pardon the term, this is the worst part of what you call uh, motherhood whitewashing. And it's not even at her behest, right? People saying, oh, well, now she's palatable. Now she's acceptable. Now she can be acceptable to sponsors or to… Yeah, it's uh, not even a true whitewash. It's like, oh, now we
1: kind of like know she's a real woman and not a man.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's Ugh. dirty to say the least. Um, but I am happy to hear that you have absolutely no concerns about the continued dominance of… I don't get it. That's your cue. One more time.
1: Oh, the greatest of all time? (laughs) No, I, listen, I think that I, one of my things about Serena is she's been so dominant for so long and I don't think that she gets enough credit for all the shit she had to take and still was so dominant for so long. From people who are actually in her sport, her, not just trolls on, on on Twitter, but actual peers of hers and their coaches making suggestions that they weren't as good because they chose to have more feminine body types. Woof. That, exactly. Woof. Are you serious? I'm serious. From commentators who call the sport, so these are like media professionals who are paid to be experts at the sport, describing her in animalistic terms, Mm -hmm. undercutting and undermining not only her God-given physical abilities, but the mental capacity it takes to be this kind of champion. You can't tell me that you are the greatest of all time on sheer physical will alone. It has to involve your brain, especially in a game like tennis, when you have one opponent who's standing across from you, across from the net, and you also have to outthink them. Where am I gonna place this serve? Is it gonna be a little off speed or is it gonna be full power? Am I give am I gonna give them a slice? Am I gonna like, you know, take this off the rise? Every time you hit the ball, there is thinking involved. Where
0: right. am I gonna put it? And, and that's a mental I... game you're saying, not just one time, no. but like nobody over and over is again.
1: willing to give her the credit it takes to think through a match. And the thing is that anybody who's ever played sports, especially individual sport, knows that half of it, more than half of it, is mental.
0: Sure. And so, you know, in a way, we come back to the same conversation because just as uh, no baby uh, who is fed no matter which way is the fulfillment of Hannah Horvath. No baby is the, is the making or changing of an incredibly successful athlete like Serena Williams, who has been underestimated all this time. Yes? Correct.
1: So, there you go.
0: Well, thank you. I feel very… We have defended Hannah Horvath and we have defended Serena Williams. And speaking of defense, you know who's in trouble? And this is kind of funny because you don't expect this. You know who's in trouble? Who? Gail King. Oh, right. Okay, Yes. Gail King is in trouble, maybe put trouble in quotes. Allegedly. It, it depends who you think is, is giving her trouble. Uh, because she was spotted on vacation with the Obamas uh, in, the, uh, in the, I believe it was in Tahiti. Uh, they were with, <laughs> was it with David Geffen? On it was on David
1: Geffen's yacht. And the other people who were there were, of course, Oprah. Oh, of course. Um, Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. And Bono or Bruce Springsteen.
0: Did you just conflate Bono and (laughs) Bruce Springsteen?
1: (laughs) All the, you know, like like rock stars, whatever boats. Bono would never. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, but Bono hangs out in the south of France all the time on a
0: boat. But this is actually the the criticism, right? The idea is that all the rest of those people are private citizens, if you will, uh, including the Obamas, Uh, but Gail King is a news reporter. Uh, You know, she works for CBS News. She has uh, increasing, increasing visibility, and she kind of put the screws to Ivanka Trump in an interview a few weeks ago in a way that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ivanka was sort of like, oh, yeah, no, I've completely dissociated myself from my company, Gail's like, yeah, it's run by your family. And she was like, but but I've yeah. associated myself with it. So I guess the criticism leveled is, Gail King, you can't be partying with the Obamas who are, on the one hand, private citizens, on the other hand, emblematic of the Democrats and the outgoing, you know, power that is so, so antithetical to the current power. I don't know. Thoughts?
1: I'm a bit, I'm a bit torn about this because to go back to that Ivanka interview, what is that expression? Um, you know, I'm so bad with expressions, um, but I only know half of them. The expression about giving someone rope—give her enough rope to hang herself. Okay, so to me, and I think that you enjoyed that interview. I enjoyed that interview. Out of that interview was the Ivanka quote about being complicit, right? If uh, yes, complicit yes. is being blah blah blah, and that spawned. You know, everybody basically saying, see, Ivanka, you suck. Yes. Um, But (laughs) Gail gave her that rope to hang herself on. Mm -hmm. Don't you think?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And so I think she did a great job and she did her job Mm -hmm. in that interview. She showed her work.
0: And we shouldn't be surprised by that. You know, Gail King uh, is so interesting. Uh, When you talk about riding the horse in the direction it's going or not shitting on who you were before… Gail King was a journalist in her own right, and she made a best friend at work, as we all do, uh, and met her best friend. And then she became, for many years, best friend Gail. Mm-hmm. She became almost a punchline, right? Yes. She was Oprah's accessory. She right. was best friend Gail. Yes. Um, and, you know, come on, like, Gail was 100% on the paycheck at Harpo. Gail was working for Harpo, and I don't mean that in a – there's no euphemism there. Often there would be segments or episodes where it was like, oh, well, you know, Gail's going to go do the interview instead because Oprah can't be there. That's work, and she should be and was paid for the work. But, you know, somewhere along the line, people kind of forgot, no, this is a journalist. This is somebody who is hardworking, who has delivered the goods, who was able to put the screws to Ivanka. So should a working journalist who is a serious journalist be penalized for who
1: her friends are? Look, I'm of two minds about this because, yes, if you want to look at things in black and white, there may be a required distance between a journalist and a political figure, sure, in black and white. The reason why this rubs me the wrong way is because I don't see George Stephanopoulos being called out for this. Stephanopoulos used to work for Bill Clinton. Yep.
0: But used to is an operative word there. Sure.
1: But, I mean, like, to me, it's… I don't see anybody calling out Charlie Rose fawning over some of his celebrity guests. Will we be able to have this conversation in a more pure sense if there was actually equality in the treatment of journalists, male and female? Sure. Sure. But as it is right now, I I don't know that we can have this conversation because there's no parody.
0: Or, and I don't disagree with you, but is it something else? Is this um, payback for the Ivanka interview? Is this somebody saying, "Go dig up some fucking shit about Gail King"? Sure, and it's not hard. You want to like that? That's a, even a more sinister look at it. And
1: but I mean, I guess we're living in the world of. Sinister
0: things. Yeah, I mean it's more sinister and also more uh, uh, Mickey Mouse in a way, right? Because it's not hard. Because Gale King is not hiding anything. I don't think that they were caught on said yacht, right? Like this is something that you do. You go on vacation with your friends, and I don't think that she would uh, be harboring any sort of mystery about her friends and who they were. It's not a. It's not a secret. So, is this an effort to smear somebody who, as you say, gave Ivanka Trump enough rope to hang herself? I I mean, I like that
1: hypothesis too. Um, You know, I think that whatever… This report originated out of Page Six Mm -hmm. in New York. Mm -hmm. Page Six is part of the New York Post. The New York Post is owned by News Corporation, and News Corporation is… Uh, Rupert Murdoch's company. Rupert Murdoch, of course, is Fox. So, Duanna, if you want to follow your nose, there certainly could be a case made for conspiracy theory here in revenge and payback, 100%.
0: But to play devil's advocate, uh, especially since uh, everything else that's been happening at Fox News lately, uh, you know… We're not t- apologizing or, you know, talking about the fact that Gail King was caught, if in fact she was caught. We're talking about the fact that, you know, should she have been there at all? Maybe it was a witch hunt to find her, but twist the narrative around and, and we can find ourselves in defense of certain terrible men who are no longer on Fox News. So should she be there? Is this part of her work? Well, on the one hand, I will
1: say... You want to develop sources. A hundred percent. Yeah. You want to get as close to the inside as you can so that you can get inside.
0: Well, and let me just be really uh, clear about that. Not just you as a reporter or whatnot. Your bosses want that. People are hired not just for their skills, yes, for their skills, but there are many skilled people. They're also hired for their connections. They're also hired for, oh, people like this person. We're going to have more access. People will have a warm room in such and such a place because people like them. It's all those things combined.
1: Yes. So that's one side of the fence. The other side of the fence is, so when it comes time to report on… Your friend, in a negative light, because of a factual news story, can you do it?
0: And, you know, the argument might be, yeah, sure, we're all professionals. Everybody that we just listed who's on that yacht, including the yacht owner, has been through some shit and can handle the idea that if something comes up, it's just news. It's just the job that you're doing. And, you know... Also, in theory, you could recuse yourself if it got too too personal, too weird, too, whatever. But I think everybody knows that you gotta do what you gotta do.
1: And let's not forget specifically what people are objecting to, because Gail has been on VIP cruises with celebrities for oh, how 30 years? Oh yeah, she
0: liked a cruise. Yeah. Okay,
1: exactly. So specifically, this has to do with the Obamas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely this doesn't have anything to do with Tom Hanks or Bruce Springsteen or Bono. Like you know, it has to do with the Obamas. So this is a polarizing president in some circles and a beloved president in other circles. And so what they're saying is, would she be able to speak uh, critically of his legacy, of his policy?
0: I mean, sure. You know, and let's see. We're living in times where the personal and political are so blended, and it's become more and more obvious uh, who feels what about everybody, so who even knows what's, what the requirements are anymore? Um, there's a quote that I liked uh, from James Corden to Harry Styles in that earlier Rolling Stone interview, which James Corden did not uh, invent, but that I think is applicable in this situation. Never complain, never explain. If you're Gail King and you're living such a rarefied life, you can't complain about the fact that people are digging into this part of it. Similarly, never explain. You don't justify anything. You just put your head down and do your job. Can I, though, add a
1: little bit of a personal angle to this? See, this is why I love this. We
0: just keep going up and down on the seesaw.
1: Because as a gossip columnist and as an entertainment reporter… I also am in positions where I meet celebrities or I find myself in a situation where a celebrity might be in close proximity. Mm-hmm. My approach is, first of all, I never want to be friends with a celebrity. Um, but my approach is there, I do, I do not want to be friends with them. It's not interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And also I don't want to do it because I do
0: want to be able to talk shit about them. Okay, but so when I make $25 next year, you're not coming on my yacht? Fuck yeah, I'm coming on your yacht. So there you go. Life happens. And finally… Well, you know, I mean, I want to stress that we didn't choose this topic for this reason, but it it helps. You said, how quickly are you going to open this email that was about… Julia Roberts. Right. And how quickly did you open it? Uh, not as quickly as you might have hoped, I think, but uh, it was early in the morning.
1: So Julia has been named People Magazine's most beautiful woman in the world 2017. Um, I mean, nobody looks like Julia Roberts, so there's that. There's that. Um, I will say that typically… You know, it's no secret, these things are chosen in conjunction with projects that they're promoting. Mm -hmm. And her film Wonder was actually supposed to open this uh, month, except Lionsgate tested it for test audiences, and it received the highest test score of any Lionsgate picture in history. Um, And subsequently, they moved it to a Thanksgiving release. And we all know what that means when you are released in the fall, particularly around holiday season. This is a film that they hope has some awards potential. So, you know, we are starting the year, or in the first quarter of the year, Julia Roberts is the most beautiful woman in the world, according to People Magazine. We will end the year with Julia Roberts
0: possibly on an Oscar campaign. Well, and we also have the upcoming uh TV project, a limited series based on the Maria Semple book, Today Will Be Different, which is also Julia Roberts. I was very excited. uh, And I wrote about it because I hoped that by the time she promoted it, she would have passed her birthday. Right. So Julia turns 50 in October. And the only way to deal with this, as far as I'm concerned, especially if she's campaigning for an Oscar, is with an interview With Oprah Winfrey, right? Who does not do this stuff much, but you know that she would for this. Julia is 50. (laughs) And,
1: well, Duanna, you might get your wish because Oprah just started with 60
0: Minutes this week. I'm saying. Like, you just, you know that this is one of the ones. I will never forget the two of them, like, giving each other Prada shoes on TV. Like, that was a thing that they could just do. They like each other. They can use each other. she's going to be 50. Isn't 50 just amazing? Isn't it just the best? Like, you can just see how this is going to go. There's going to be a lot of, like, long shots of the two of them walking in orchards or, uh, uh, what grounds does, uh, ranches. Ranches, uh, yeah. Montecito, I think, is right? Yeah, Yeah. like like vineyards. There's going to be a lot of walking and a lot of, like, oversized floppy sun hats. Yeah. Um, And, like, isn't it just amazing? Why didn't you tell me, Oprah? She'll say... I'm telling you, I told you, 50 is amazing. Um, (laughs) I'm available to uh, freelance produce this episode if necessary. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, Julia Roberts is skillful. As many of the people we've talked about today is skillful. She goes away for a while. She lets us miss her because when she comes back, she is full on. So… This is why
1: we've put Julia here in the spot typically reserved for do we need to care about?
0: But it's almost a bit uh, uh, sacrilege for you to ask that question.
1: Oh, I I agree in our little bubble. You mean our two-person bubble? (laughs) Our two-person bubble and obviously for like… You know, Sarah, Maria, all the people who you read on Laney Gossip. of course, we care about Julia Roberts. But remember, we are living in the age of Instagram. We are living in the age of Kardashian. We are living in the age of YouTube stars. Like, does Julia Roberts still matter?
0: Well, all those people grew up watching Stepmom, right? And wanting her to be their stepmom. So maybe… Do you know why the que- I asked the question then, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't think she's for them. I don't actually think she's for them. I think she's our big sister. I don't know that Julia is... I don't know that Julia Roberts needs 20-year-olds. Like, they're closer to her kid's age, oh my God, than than to ours. I don't think she cares if the children love her. I'm sure that Julia Roberts was offered like a cameo walk-on in Ocean's 8 and was like, no thanks. I No, thank you. I don't need to be you know, doing anything that's going to require me to Instagram. Julia Roberts, God love her, has no Twitter and no Instagram and no lifestyle website. No, but even even Isabel Huppert started an Instagram account, like, just
1: before, you know, her Oscar momentum started taking off.
0: Yeah, but who's Natalie? Like, Julia has (laughs) the Oscar. She doesn't need to. She has all the things. She can call George Clooney and be like, ugh, that guy doesn't pick up his socks. Like, she doesn't need any of it. She is so glorious because she needs nothing.
1: And I think that, like, let's be clear for the people who, you know, might misconstrue this. Our love for Julia, and it is pure, is not blind.
0: No, 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 no. (laughs) Like,
1: it doesn't mean that we don't see the sanctimony.
0: No, but… Oh, sanctimony isn't interesting. What do you mean, sanctimony?
1: Oh, I mean like when Julia
0: talks down to someone, when
1: Julia knows best, when Julia has but always it's not been
0: sanctimony, it's just like you're you're annoying or lazy <laughs> or like blind yourself. Like, no, she's condescending as fuck. But it's not because she l- wants them to be better, I suppose. Oh. I think that there's some
1: of that in Julia Roberts. Okay. There's also, like, you know who Julia Roberts is? Is she's that girl when she's in the room, she's, she makes herself the only girl who matters.
0: Yeah, like, because she, will, she does.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she'll take her whole body, you can picture it, and like there might be like the wife or the whoever is standing next to whoever she needs to talk to,
0: and she'll fucking block them out. Well, but not, I don't want to, I don't think that she's necessarily a woman hater though. I think that she can tune out the men just as easily as the women. And no, I'm not blind. Julia Roberts has two projects coming up while Julia's 50, like, you know, there's a need to put another notch on the wall, right? To have Julia still got it. Julia's still, at almost 50, the most beautiful woman in the world. So there's ego there. There's a maintenance of a certain brand.
1: Now, while we watch then, Julia, this year, what will your reaction be if Julia does show up on Instagram and does, you know, start Facebook living?
0: Oh, man. I really (laughs) hope not. I (laughs) don't… Jules, (laughs) when you tell your anecdote in October about the fact that you spent the summer uh, uh, picking peaches on your farm or something. I know peaches aren't till July. God, I can't wait for peaches. Jules, listen to podcasts while you do your harvest or whatnot. Listen to us. You don't need to. We don't need you to. What I do think she will do is make a surprise appearance on Emma Roberts's Instagram at some juncture. Be like, surprise, it's me. Uh, just to show us she's with it. To show us she's cool, Uh, she did show up at Taylor Swift's concert uh, (laughs) for her daughter. You know,
1: with was Carol King too, right? Like it was, it was like Joan Baez, Julia Roberts, something right. It was like Joan Baez, yeah. (laughs) So
0: you know, she's with it. She gets it. She will wear a wedge sneaker if it is necessary, but she doesn't need it for her own need. Uh, it'll be more likely to do a wink, wink, nudge, nudge on a Ryan Murphy project or, yeah, something with Emma Roberts or, uh, you know, a cameo on a song that Phineas and Hazel decided to write and release at the time. But she's not going to be so naked about having a need. She doesn't have a need. She's not going to squeeze back into the pretty woman dress. It's, it's, this woman has standards. Please. <laughs>
1: Um, on that note, that's it for us, but a late-breaking little note, um, because Maria just sent me an email about Blake Lively. Blake Lively's Instagram has been updated um, with a photo of herself with Sama Hayek at the Variety Power Women uh, event, and on her Instagram, she tags her jewels mm-hmm. by Lorraine Schwartz mm. and her dress by Brandon Maxwell.
0: Oh, so it's okay to know who she's wearing just on her own terms. On Instagram, yes. Where the, yeah, where it can be. Just don't ask her about it. That's right. Yeah. Great. Um,
1: Show your work, everybody. And thank you for listening. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for your tweets. Keep sending them to us. Uh, Next week, we hope to be able to read some of your letters to us and answer the questions that you have had. Um, So um, if you have something you want to ask us, send them in because next week we want to devote some time
0: to that. Cannot wait to hear from you. Read the emails. uh, Laugh and fight and yell and show your work. Show us your eight days to Hamilton countdown. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. Less than by the time
1: they listen to this. Um, iTunes, Google Play. See you next time. Bye. Bye.